Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Now I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. Uh, As it says in your program, we're going to be looking and focusing in on John 1, verse 14. Uh, But we're going to read all of verses 1 through 18 because through the past four weeks, we've been unpacking the depth that is in the prologue, these first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. Now, to start with, it opens up as someone who is the Word. And we find out quite quickly that the Word is God Himself, that the Word is light, and the Word is true life. And in verse 14, where we're going to be, the Word becomes flesh, and then in verse 17, it reveals us who this Word is. Until this time, there's no one named, not until this Word becomes flesh. In verse 17, we find that the Word is Jesus Christ. So then we can say of all these verses, and I encourage you to think of this as we're reading it through, that Jesus is God, that Jesus was before creation itself, that Jesus is the life of the world, Jesus is the one who is light in the midst of darkness. Before reading, though, let's come before our God in prayer. Creator God, You remind us that the darkness of ignorance and doubt cannot overcome your life-giving word. May your Holy Spirit, who first inspired these words of Scripture, shine your light once again and awaken us to the hearing and living of this radiant truth. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. 
from the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, Today we're going to explore these words through pictures. Uh, Hopefully these pictures are big enough for everyone to see. If not, you have some printed out in your bulletins. Hopefully they got passed out to you. Um, If you don't have a bulletin with you, uh, you can take out the sermon notes and draw your own. And we're actually going to have some, I'm going to ask that you draw some extra pictures on here if you'd like um, as a way of being able to just uh, have some focus throughout the message here. And the word that's going to link all of our images together today is this word dwell. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And when you see the word dwell, I want us to think of another word, probably something we might not have heard before, Uh, but the word dwell is linked in John to something called Shekinah glory. Uh, The Shekinah glory is this Old Testament term that is about God's luminous, bright presence coming to be with his people. Shekinah glory is linked then to God dwelling in all of his brightness. And just to give some examples to help flesh some of that out, um, we'll turn to our pictures here. And the first thing I want you to draw, if you can, is a cloud. Uh, because that's the first instance of this Shekinah glory coming up in uh, Exodus chapter 24. Moses climbs up to Sinai, and as he is dwelling there with God, Israel looks up at this cloud, and they see this Shekinah glory. You can have this brightness going around, kind of like the sun is behind there, and the outsides of the cloud are kind of that silvery brightness. Uh, I'm going to just make it yellow there, so... uh, I have that color available. And that's the first instance here of that brightness. The next time that we have the Shekinah glory showing up is in the tabernacle, in the tent. This happens in Exodus chapter 40. At the very end of that same book, we have a cloud coming down as representing God's glorious, bright presence, and it rests in the tabernacle. The next time, or another major time that it shows up, has to do with the temple. We read in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10 through 11, when the priest withdrew from the holy place, a cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priest couldn't perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the temple. So if you've got the temples there, find some way of making it glory-filled. It's, it's bright. It is shining. This is what Israel depended on. They needed that glorious, luminous presence of God so that they then could be a light to the nations. That was their role. And they weren't able to do that without the presence of God, which makes Ezekiel 10 one of the saddest and most tragic prophecies in the Bible. 
This is where God's presence departs from the temple. So our second temple image, you can find a way of darkening that. This is Israel waiting, longing for that light and life to come back once again dwell with the people, for that Shekinah glory to be there with them. That is Israel. They, they actually rebuild the temple after it's destroyed, hoping that at some point God will then come and dwell. Their hope is captured in Ezekiel 44, where there's this vision of a restored temple and the Shekinah glory coming back, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, but the glory never came. And that's the context of John 1.14. They're waiting for what's coming next. They're waiting for God's glory to come down. And then John says, the word became flesh and shekinahed among them. The word he uses, the very same word there of that glorious, luminous presence, that dwelling is this glory-filled presence is now among them. God becomes flesh, not, and his glory is there not as a temple or as a tabernacle or in a cloud, but in flesh and blood, human being. Let's see if I can get there, nice and bright. John invites us to think of this person glowing. Our first impression then of this person is that they're radiant. They're going off the page, it's so bright. And when I think of this, I think of a time where I was uh, leading a youth retreat out in Alberta, and we were playing Capture the Flag, and they had these uh, glow-in-the-dark sticks around their arms, and one of them broke, and it went all over them, and they had this bright quality to them, this kind of eerie glow. I don't recommend that you try it out. It was not fun to get off, but here we're invited to see there's this glowing radiantness to the word become flesh. Only when we look at John, it's not quite as easy to see. As we go through John, we'll see that when glory is mentioned, not everyone catches on. It's not as immediately apparent. It's not the unmistakable luminous cloud at Sinai. It's not the tabernacle, which had the best artists kind of preparing the way for God to dwell with it. It is not the architecture of a temple that is designed to house the glory of God. The glory shows up in flesh and bone. No luminous brightness, nothing immediately obvious to the eye, and yet John follows up God dwelling with us with a line, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When John says we have seen the glory, he's implying that it's a very visible glory. You can see it. And yet, uh, glory is going to show up 34 times. Whenever it does show up, we have a lot of people missing the fact that it's there. Just as an example, and this is kind of going outside of John, uh, but we have Jesus' birth. John doesn't have this story, but we know from the other gospel writers that there was no lovely glow coming from that manger, no radiant lights shining from him as he slept. 
to read the, the other gospel accounts, you don't see a cloud coming and descending in that stable. Instead, the only people that really recognize Jesus as Lord are some shepherds, and they know about it because some angels told them about it. And when the angels tell them about it, they don't say, look for the baby that's glowing in a manger. You won't be able to miss it. He's glowing. Um, they say, look for a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. That's what glory looks like. And John continues then to tell who Jesus is. He seems to go out of his way each time that when glory is most fully present in Jesus, it's in moments where he is also very human. God's glory shows up when he helps others, when he serves, when he sacrifices. John is using glory in a very different way than the other Gospels, just as a numbers thing for us to be aware, glory shows up in Matthew and in Mark three times each. John, 34 times. You know it's an important thing, and he's trying to rework that theme of glory. He's trying to see it differently. And when you look at the three different gospel accounts, the first three of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all share a story of the peak of Christ's glory. It's, it's a moment called the transfiguration. This is where Jesus climbs a hill with his three closest disciples and God shows that glory shining from them. His skin becomes as radiant and, and luminous. It's kind of like that Shekinah glory. Matthew chapter 17 said his, his face was shining like the sun. And John was there. He was one of those three closest disciples with him. And yet, when he tells his gospel story full of glory, he leaves that story out. He wants us to think of glory differently. Now, we could explore this theme throughout his ministry, through his teaching, but I want to jump to the ultimate expression of glory in John. In the pinnacle moment... It's not Jesus on the hill with his closest disciples, but it is on a different hill with a convicted criminal on each side. It's on the cross. For anyone, this would be the darkest moment, the moment of disgrace. But in John, this is a picture of glory. So I don't know if you have a way of representing both that darkness and that glory. But I invite you to try find a way there. Four times in John, Jesus references the cross in terms of the hour in which he will be glorified. This is the peak moment of God revealing his glory to us. One pastor named uh, Eugene Peterson writes of John that John takes the brightest word in our vocabulary and lunges it down into the darkest pit of experience. Violent and excruciating death. Everything we have ever associated with glory has to be recast. We have entered a mystery. And John's use of glory is mysterious here. Not everyone sees that glory as it shows up. It looks a little bit like this guy here, just a regular person, no brightness unless it's seen through the right lens. 
And I'm kind of stressing this point about glory and recasting it because I think we share something in common with the people who first missed it. We tend to see glory only in terms of victory, of the biggest things, of the spectacular. A, a classic example of glory kind of defined in our own culture is just from last week's Sunday where Argentina won the World Cup and their star player, Messi, has this Instagram post that broke records for the most liked post ever. It gives a picture of what glory looks like. Glory is winning. It's victory. It's overcoming. That's the definition that we contend with when we come to John, when we see that glory is redefined. It's far from glamorous, far from a glory that would get likes from his followers. It's a glory that's hardly going to attract people. John's glory is mysterious until we go to our bottom image here of the heart, until we see it through love. Add some glasses there. There we go. And I'm going to change my color. Love is a key word in John. It is through love, through that lens of love, that when he sees the, one, the word become flesh, that we can see that glory being there. It is only through love that glory can be seen on the cross. Glory and love are bound together in John. Uh, love also shows up a good 39 times here. It's a key word. And you'll find that when glory comes to its peak expressions, its greatest expression, it is always in an action of love, of compassion, of care. Glory first shows up in God coming down to dwell with us, God making that, that movement in his salvation. John's most famous verse, possibly the most famous verse in the whole of the Bible, is John 3.16. I'll just move this all over here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This speaks of God sending his son. And the purpose, the purpose of sending the son that he may dwell with us is stemming from love. God loved the world so much that he did this, and everything that Jesus does that shows God's glory is done through that love that God has for us. God loves the world so much that he's not content with just showing up as a cloud or in a tent or in a temple. God loves the world so much that he enters into creation and works his redemption from within it. God loves the world so much that he came not to condemn it, but to save it. A love that took him to the cross. So we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate 
this moment of God becoming human every year because it's the moment of beginning his saving, God's saving work in a new way. It's God showing his love and glory in a way that invites us to redefine what glory looks like. In the Gospel of John, we get a picture from cradle to cross of the sending of the Son, and the Son's fulfillment of the work of salvation is all a work of love. It's glory seen not in the luminous glow of the skin, but in the brightness of love, in the midst of indifference, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of suffering. It is a love that takes him even to death on a cross. And and love is the core of the Christian experience. We are a people who are to be basking in this love of Jesus. If you are new to Christianity, if you're just visiting today or came along with friends or family, I want you, along with everyone else, to consider God's glory for a moment. How God's glory is shown through his actions of love. Now, none of us are deserving of this glory-revealing, self-giving love. None of us have earned God's love by being a good person. None of us have won it through any special acts that we have done. And I see that as a good thing, something that is earned we might have to keep on earning. Something that we have won, we might fear could be lost. This love is one that is freely given. Throughout Advent, we've had a downward arrow kind of representing this movement of God towards us, constantly reminding us it is God's work coming down to us. It is a love that is not taken, it's not grabbed at, it's not something we reach, but it is something that we receive with open arms. Our title for our series has been That You May Believe. And one of the things that we've been focusing on is is what does it mean to believe? And we can approach that from all sorts of different angles because That's another key word in John, and John approaches it. He gives it all sorts of layers. And today, I want us to remember that belief involves receiving God's love. Belief in John isn't just about being convinced of something. It's not about just acquiring the right knowledge. It's not about simply weighing out the facts. Belief runs deeper than that. Belief means acknowledging that each one here is loved. It means more than that, certainly, but not less. That you are so loved that God came to save you, God came to give you eternal life. What's required to us in belief is to see God's glory through Jesus' love. You are invited to be enfolded in that love. One of the mysteries in John is that the author never actually names himself. Uh, The only hints that we get is that he seems to be the one that Jesus loved. This beloved disciple shows up several times. 
And some people look at that and they're like, okay, John thinks a lot of himself there. Uh, but there's another explanation, one that I prefer. My favorite reason to why John doesn't name himself is that throughout the whole gospel, he is inviting to put our names there. As disciples, we are beloved of Christ. You are called to accept something remarkable, that you are loved by God. Loved so much that God comes to dwell with us to show his glory in service and in sacrifice. You are called to share the very identity of John, who when trying to portray who he is, he doesn't just say his name, but he chooses the very thing that his value and his identity flow from, his relationship with Jesus. And when we allow ourselves to be loved, we have something essential fulfilled within us. A wise ancient philosopher once stated that when we don't feel loved, we, we try to fill that void with other things. Often, this desire to be loved shows up simply in the desire to be admired. And in the pursuit to be admired, we are willing to sacrifice so much to go through pains just to be admired for something to fill a void that we don't quite understand. And John, from the outset of his gospel, wants you to know that you are beloved. Not because of your skills and abilities, not because of your utility and what you can do, but you are beloved as you are. You can read the rest of John. Look at the stories of people before Jesus. They don't have to be all healed up and cleaned up before they approach him. To behold God in his glory is to receive the love that Jesus shows each one. If you keep reading past John 3.16, you'll find that the healing from our sin involves being reformed by his love for us. It's only when we place ourselves in the midst of the one who is light that the darkness is dispelled. In other words, God doesn't say, if you change, I will love you. Instead, we find that we change in response to God's love. And that leaves us with our invitation for today, for Christmas, is this invitation to celebrate God's glory, the Shekinah glory, God coming to dwell with us, that it was revealed not in a bright cloud or a tent or a temple, but in the flesh, through acts of love. We remember God becoming little and vulnerable in the flesh, offering us his friendship, inviting us to become his beloved. The invitation to belief is to sit in that love, to have it form us, to be people who are shaped by glory-filled love and who go out reflecting that light into the world through our serving, through our sacrifice, and even through suffering, through acts of love that show God is the one who dwells with us.
Let's pray. Almighty God, you are the God who made his dwelling with us. Through your love, through your healing, through your compassion, through your suffering, and even through your death, we have seen your glory. Through Jesus, we are pointed back to our true humanity. We are reminded of what we were made for, the same self-giving love. As saved people, as people who know what it is to be loved, may we undo the distorted ways of living. May we unfold the inward forms of love that point back to ourselves and our own desires to be admired. Unfold us to love in a way that reflects your light and your love into the world through your spirit at work in us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.